let's, let's pray and then we'll get started uh, by reading the passage, if I could, and then we'll start some comments. So, uh, Father, we come to you and we thank you for this opportunity to get together. We realize the importance to today's church, the leadership structure that you have put into the scripture. So, Father, we would be diligent in our studies. We would be open-minded to learn what you might that the scriptures have to say we pray that our preconceived ideas and our philosophies and our past experiences father would we'd be able to overcome them and be able to just see what you want for us father we thank you that while not perfect and often abused that this form of leadership is what you plan for us and so father we would be wise to follow it as close as we can to the patterns you've set before us. So we ask your blessing upon the time tonight, and we thank you for uh, allowing us to meet in this way. Uh, in the Lord's name, we pray our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. If you can't hear me or something, wave your hands, because I have this habit of touching my computer and kicking off something. So um, reading... Reading 1 Peter 5 from verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partakers of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. In, in my travels, I would say this, the assemblies that function best have very good elders, and the assemblies that function are struggling usually do not have great elders. And so one of the things that I've experienced as I've taught this or, or gone to assemblies and discussed eldership is one of the confusing things that some people are confused about is that elders, it, it's a work and not a status. And too often the assemblies I visit, the opinion is held is, is that being an elder is no more than a status which conferred as a result of spiritual experience and qualification or simply age of the person concerned or success in business. In this understanding, eldership is the equivalent of an honor awarded for virtue or long service. And the, the, the view, this view can have serious consequences. I've seen them firsthand. For the individual's ministry as an elder and for the assembly, the danger is that it makes for armchair elders. As a result, the office is sought for, for the prestige in which it gives. However, when the prestige is the chief focus of a, of a person's thought, it's to be expected that they will not readily withdraw from the position for age or other reasons any more that the person who has received an honor expects to have it to relinquish it. Many assume the position is for life due to the prestige that it gives. 
unfortunately, if an elder is not doing the work, it becomes very difficult to replace or remove that elder that either through not doing the work, temperament or age can no longer do the work of an elder. And so in this study tonight, at least, we'd like to see why eldership is a work or a responsibility and not an achievement award or prestige. I taught on elders in one assembly and there was an elder who was not a good elder. And we had a men's meeting and the question was put to him, what's the work of an elder? And he turned to me and he said, well, Clay taught on that, let him say what it is. I said, well, I know what I think it is there. I think they're interested in knowing what you think it is. And he said, well, basically preaching at 11 o'clock and giving announcements. And he was serious. That was his, that was his concept of being an elder. And so that's the same assembly that when there were, when he was one of the elders, he was the last remaining elder at this time, but previous when they had seven elders, I met with them to discuss some of these things. And I opened up the scriptures and every one of them had come to an elders meeting without a Bible. And each of them got up and went to the pews, the back of the pews to get a Bible to bring so we could look at the Bible to see what the Bible had to say on something. And um, that assembly went through real struggles for a long time because of the quality of their elders. So it, this is a really important subject to me. And it's really important that, that we understand it and that we have a good concept of what we're talking about or looking at or, or what, we're, what the scriptures have to say for sure. So I, I sent out some questions to help, us, to help us in the study. And this is supposed to be a discussion. I'll, I will definitely have some thoughts on this, but we're hoping to do a discussion type Bible study. So if you have some thoughts, if you have something to say, if you have input, please feel free to share that. I do plan at, at some point in time working verse through verse through, through these seven verses. And I didn't talk to Ray particularly about this, but if we don't finish tonight, we can always do this the next time and just do part two on the next night. So we don't want to rush, but we don't want to delay either. So the first question is, um, Peter uses three terms referring to the leaders of the church. And what are those three terms? Now, I will be upfront and honest with you. I often do questions like this in groups that I work with, and um, usually they know exactly who submitted the questions because they're very vague and difficult, and people struggle to answer them. So um, just to let you know, I do my best to answer straightforward, ask straightforward questions, but usually people struggle to answer them for whatever reason. They're clear to me, but obviously not clear to others. So does anyone have a, an answer or want to comment? Just go ahead, Dave. Yeah, just speak up. I got to unmute myself. I'll give you the, the, the answers. It's fellow elder, witness, and partaker. Okay, that's an interesting answer. Probably not the one I got. Fellow elder, witness, and partaker. Okay. All right. Clay, these, else... are, the, these are the three words that I came up with. Uh, willingly, ready mind, and ensample. All right, but there's actually three terms that he used that that would that would that would name an elder or elders are interchangeably used as that. Elders, oversight, and shepherds. Yeah, so Jeff Jeff got it right. 
So and it, and it's and it, it doesn't really say shepherds. So you have to read. You have to understand that the word used feed is poimon, which which um, we could get into, is really talking about being a uh, means a shepherd, a one who tends to keep sheep. So it says feed the shop, feed at least in the King James. Does someone have a translation that doesn't say feed the? Sorry. The new, the new King James uh, says shepherd. Okay. So if you were using a new King James, you'd have a little bit more of a hint. So it's he uses three terms. The scriptures use two of the terms almost interchangeably, and that is and that is uh, an overseer or bishop and elder. So an elder, um, and the Greek word, I could tell you the Greek word, but um, which basically means one who is advanced in age or mature. Oversight, the Greek word is episkopos, which is which really means overseer or guardian. But in the King James, it was translated as bishop because there was already bishops in place in the church and they, they wanted to justify that position, I think, ecclesiastical position. But it means to be an overseer. And then the third position. So I think two of those particularly speak to the work. One of them speaks to the nature of the man or the age of the man. And we, as we go along, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what each one of these means and why. Um, and then the next question I would I asked was which two terms does Peter use to refer to the church? Flock and the heritage. Okay, good. Who said that? Matthew. Okay, thank you. So, basically, what he's telling us here is that there's a deep responsibility because they are God's flock and God's heritage. And it's really important that we grasp that whenever there's elders is that it's not their flock and it's not their heritage. So let's let's look at let's look at the at the verses as as we go through here. Um, the first verse he starts off at the elders which are among you I exhort. So one of the things that's important to note is that there's and so there's not they're not over you but they're among you and there's no clerical order. There's no ruling. One, one of the things as Ray and I talked about this, one of the things we sort of skipped was that everywhere you find elders in the new Testament, they're plural. And so if you have questions about the plurality of elders or why there needs to be more than one, we'd be glad to talk to you about that, but we didn't start the class there. And just let you know, because here he says the elders which are among you, which which are plural. Most of us, I think, accept that as plural. Peter also says, who am also an elder. We're never told anywhere that he was an elder, but here he tells us that he was. And so here we're told that he was. He's a witness of the sufferings and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Those are particularly with him because the elders he's writing who are scattered abroad, they were not witnesses of the suffering of Christ. Can I can I jump in? Yes. Um, the plurality of elders. I, well, I, I definitely agree with that. Is there a number more than one? So, like 
two, three would be ideal or a multiple. I, I know that scripture, at least from what I can tell, doesn't necessarily point it out except for multiple. Um, but I would kind of think that three would be the minimum ideal, I guess. Obviously more is okay, but would, do you have a, a thought on that? Yeah, I've, I've worked with assemblies where there was one elder and, and um, they then worked with uh, very closely with a leadership team and didn't and and I've worked with I've worked with assemblies where the one last elder stepped down because he was a single elder. So um, one of the things that one of the things that I'm a very strong believer in is that an elder is an elder whether he's recognized or not. An elder is one who does the work. So I've been to an assemblies where the elders who were recognized really weren't elders doing the work. It was people who weren't recognized as elders who were doing most of the work of an elder. They were doing the shepherding. They were doing the watching over the flock. They were doing the tending and the care of the flock. So, um, yes, I think there should be recognized elders. I think three is, is probably the best number. But I've seen two elders function very well together when it was a smaller assembly without a problem. If, if, Can I jump if, in for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Anytime. I, I served on an elder. I've served on four different churches as an elder. One of them had seven, and two had five, and the other had three. And uh, I can say that they, they all worked pretty good together, except that uh, your description earlier of the one with seven was filled with businessmen who, um, I agree with you, they uh, were placed in there because of their prowess in the community rather than they were not really serving elders. They were, they were ruling elders. And that was an interesting number of years I spent there. But, um, but I've, been, I've been on an elder board with seven. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, if you have true elders, I don't know that two would be a bad number. If you have elders who aren't very humble, which we'll talk about in this passage when we get to it, and one person wants to be the bull elder or the lead elder, I don't know that it matters how many elders you have. It's very hard to control an individual who insists on having his way or needs to be the leader in every situation. So I don't know that three particularly balances out. If you have the right ones, I my personal feeling is two of the right ones would be enough in a small assembly. Uh, three or four of the right ones or five of the right ones would be enough in a small assembly and seven of the wrong ones are not enough. Hi, Clay. Matt Huber yes. here. Can yeah. I a quick comment? Matt, yeah. Good to see you too. Uh, just, just jump in, guys. I just want to encourage the guys on this call because uh, in context, like Clay's saying, you're looking at first Peter. Peter's probably the most prominent disciple among the 12. And uh, he's not claiming like a special privilege or position as an elder. He's a fellow elder. When you look back to Peter, where he was, some of us uh, might look at our, even our background or let's call it pedigree. Paul didn't care about his pedigree. But we look back, we say, boy, I don't, I don't know if I could be an elder. I'm sure Peter never thought of it either. 
He's with Christ in the garden. He's with him when he's apprehended. He denies Christ. He's in the high priest Paul. And then you read of his recovery as the Lord brings him back. And even in Acts, out of everyone, it says Peter lifts his voice, right? And says if he's speaking with God, speaking through his mouth with so much power. And here he is now he's writing as a fellow elder. So I just think it's good to encourage each other with that. Um, that God took a man who would, who would have been perhaps full of empty promises at the beginning, right, Peter, and he restores him and uses him dynamically and mightily in this position. The other thing I, I've noticed recently about Peter, as you think about Peter, is when Peter went to Cornelius' house, he went sort of with fear and trembling, and he had his eyes opened about going into a Gentile house. He goes into the Gentile house and sees God work in an amazing way. Well, when he gets back to Jerusalem, they're questioning him going into that house. And they're questioning what he was doing there. And we almost have, in, the next, in that next chapter, we almost have a, a complete repeat of everything that took place as Peter explains what took place, why he did it, how he did it, the whole nine yards in a very humble fashion. I mean, as you just said, Peter was a disciple who should have said, well, are you questioning me? I preached on the day of Pentecost and 5,000 people got saved. And you're going to question me when there's new converts? You're going to question me how I led new people to Christ? You're going to, you know, and there's none of that attitude. He just simply sits down and explains to them in detail how God had worked. And they accepted it and rejoiced. But I've run into people who like, if you would, they think they have a position and this is the idea of a prestige and a position and you would ask them why did you do this or how did you do this and they would be offended that you weren't showing them respect or they would be offended that you know and as we go through this passage humility is going to become a big part and Peter was an example of that Paul was an example of that and if you have an elder who isn't humble it doesn't matter if you have two three or four guess what? In my mind, you're going to struggle. Yeah. You're going to struggle. Yeah, great thoughts, Clay. Thanks. So one of the things it talks about, um, he's going to talk about a reward. So sometimes people are reluctant to take the position, but, they are, but there's an object of award. There's, there's going to be a future partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And I think he's speaking to all the elders. There, well, only he was a witness of the suffering, all elders will be a partaker of the future glory that would be revealed. So it's really important. So in verse two, we come to this idea of feed. And it's a, it, it's a translation of a Greek word that really means a shepherd, includes the duties of shepherd, tending, feeding, guiding, and guarding the flock. And so I want to take a few minutes and, and have you guys share your ideas of what that comes to mind when you hear of a shepherd. And by the way, I don't grow plants. My wife has a green thumb. I don't have any animals. I'm not a shepherd. I've read the um, Shepherd's View of the 23rd Psalms at one time in my life. Um, excellent book on shepherding. But if you have some thoughts on what it, on shepherding, on the practical end of actually a, a shepherd who works with the lambs and how that would transfer over to the care and feeding of God's people, I would like you to share that. So I, I've thought a lot about this uh, from the aspect of actually 
um, taking care of animals who are unlike humans in a, in a way where they cannot take care of themselves. They can eat if the food is there. They can drink if the water is there. They can't fix their own wounds. They can't do any of that for themselves. So my, my, I guess my con kind of conclusion at this point in time on that is um, you can't really care for your animals unless you know them. Okay. And that, that requires you to spend uh, a, a decent amount of time with each one because each one is going to be different. I've taken care of a lot of animals, and, and I'll tell you, the thing that's really worked for me is being gentle with them. It, you, when, you, when you're really gentle with them, and, and of course, everybody knows you can't drive sheep. You, you have to lead them, and, and if you're a good leader, they'll follow. Those are just two small points I'll make. Okay. Oh, hi, Clay. Hi, Matt. Hey, uh, I don't want to chat too much here. But um, certainly, that's certainly, what, echoes both that's brothers. what we're here for. Chat as much as you want. <laughs> no, you don't want that, man. We'll be up all night. Um, but this is a good topic. But uh, I echo what both brethren said too. And I, I, uh, I look at the spiritual shepherd um, having a job in two ways, right? So the first to feed the sheep, like you mentioned, and then and Jesus tells that to Peter in John twenty twenty one, I think, in verse fifteen okay. or so. Yeah. Uh, and then another aspect of that is to tend it. So protect it, guide it, nurture it, care for it. But the, the most important tool, and I think Peter really, um, he's speaking from the heart when he's looking at these elders because he was close to Christ. And uh, he saw Christ in every situation and he saw him on a cross and he saw him serving his people. And so I think the heart of a, an overseer would be that of one that would have servant leadership. So be willing to do anything at their own expense to see the well-being of those they love and care for in the flock as above their own priorities. Okay, so you mentioned it. So one of the questions with John was the passage in John um, 21. Do you think Peter had this in mind and why do you think Peter had this in mind when he writes this passage? I don't know if Peter had this in mind. I, at the time, you're saying at John 21, when he wrote when he wrote First Peter five, was he thinking about the Lord's instruction to him as far as the care and feeding of the flock? Sure. Okay. So um, basically, I, I think most of these most of us know this, but he says, and unfortunately, the King James doesn't do a great job of translating this because it says, "Feed my lambs." And the meaning there is to feed or provide for little lamb, and, and the word there is Bosco. And then in verse 16, it says, feed my sheep, to tend as a shepherd, the sheep, poimon, meaning the total care, which is the same word we have here. And then next is feed my sheep, to feed or provide for the sheep. And, and again, it's Bosco, um, as it is for the first one. So it's, it's um, feed or provide for the lambs, be a shepherd to the sheep, and then feed the sheep or provide for the sheep. So he uses not only, he uses different words about what that means. And I think he's passing on those instructions to elders here and what it means. Mm -hmm. So 
feed basically means to teach or to feed them the word of God. And if you read Psalms 23, one of the things that a shepherd does is it causes us to lie down by still waters. How does a spiritual elder cause someone in the assembly to lie down by still waters? Bring the word of God to bear on what is uh, they're struggling with. Yes. So, so applying the word of God to someone's life is feeding them. I think there's a certain measure of, of, of making sure that there isn't constant turmoil or, or turbulence in the assembly. Because there has to be a certain amount of tranquility or people, I had someone tell me once, he goes, you know, his wife was dying from leukemia and he came to me and he said, I was there speaking, he came up to me and he said, you know, I need this place to be a sanctuary from all my problems at home and instead it's not. Well, that's a sad commentary on the role the elders are doing when there's more yeah. turmoil at church than there is at home. And so I think there's some sense of that. In, in, in Psalms, it talks about a shepherd having a staff and a rod. And so would someone like to maybe talk about what those two instruments would be and what the spiritual application to the assembly would be? I wonder if um, before we go there, if uh, we, on that uh, text in John 21. Yes, go that, ahead. Uh, that as the Lord was instructing Peter, he also asked him three times, do you love me? And I think here is the key to how, uh, what motivates someone to shepherd the flock. Okay. It's, uh, it's really, uh, and that, I think that's why the Lord asked that. And it's something that Peter learned as well. And he means to express that, I think, in a, in a loving relationship. Yeah. He gets a little bit into the motives in the rest of this verse of what should motivate us or how they should be motivated. He doesn't, he doesn't use the term love, but he tends to imply that. Right? Yes. Just to answer your question, uh, Ray, those are really good thoughts also. Um, Clay, just to answer your question on the staff, and I can be um, corrected here, of course, right? But I think there's a metaphor in Psalm 23. Yes. Um, and the shepherd is guiding the flock. The rod and staff uh, would be the tools that that shepherd's using to perhaps grab a sheep that's going astray, like a hook staff, or for correction, maybe a swift tap. I don't know anything about um, guiding flocks, but... Um, it's, it's to steer maybe people gently in the right direction. And one who would do that would need to be very close to the word. So you have a pulse on the assembly and a pulse on your people, but you have to okay. be close to the word of God to, to understand, you know, how to okay. navigate sensitively to. So I think that, I think that is what I believe about the staff. I think I probably believe something different about the rod. Sure. So in, and uh, I'm just going to make an application to actual working of animals again. Sorry, that, that's what I know. So, um, 
animals are very visual. So a lot of times when you are moving uh, sheep or cattle, now cattle are, are a little different. They're easier to, to drive than sheep are, but both of them can be steered with a visual uh, display of a staff. So you have a, a rod in your hand and they are coming to, and you can, you can use that without ever touching them as a visual way to steer them. And I, I, I would say that the, um, um, if you look at the traditional shepherd's staff, it would be one, the rod and the staff, I, I would say would be one in my opinion. Um, and the, the one end would be used for, for guiding or directing, and the other would be for restraining uh, to keep them from danger. And I, and I don't know where I ever came up with this idea, but it might have been suggested to me and I just latched onto it. But um, I, it was suggested that the staff was for, for, guide, for leading the sheep and guarding and guiding them and the rod was for guarding. And the rod was only was to be used for outside enemies to ward off outside enemies. And my experience is way too often, sometimes elders think the rod is what they need to use on the flock. And, and I don't think the rod was meant for the flock. I think, I think the, the staff is what was meant for the flock and the rod is for protection. So just, I don't know where I got that idea, but it just has always just stuck with me. Um, I've certainly heard it, read it in, num in a number of different commentaries. It's not uh, at all an odd idea. Well, and once again, I'm not a shepherd and I don't have any animals. So I can be educated, as, as Matt's educating us on, on how to treat animals and what his experience with animals are. So he goes on to say in that, in that second verse, um, again, he says, so the elders which are among you, I exhort. And then he says the elders which is among the flock. So once again, it's not a hierarchy. It's not a position over it. And then he says, taking the oversight thereof. And that's where we get the term bishop or... or um, overseer and so he he, he he says to feed and then he says that you have the oversight of or the overseer and so is there a difference between feeding carrying and, and protecting a lamb and having the oversight over them i could jump in actually i was just yes the, the rod versus the staff and kind of to prove people's point i uh just google it real fast okay I was looking at that too, Clay. There you go. I think to Clay's point is the, the staff is definitely for the sheep and the rod is more of a defense weapon or something along those lines for getting work done when it needs to happen. So I just thought that was kind of cool. Nice to know someone has skills in this group. Clay, you know what's a neat Clay, can I share a neat thought on that too? Yes, go ahead. Uh, even to add to DeFries here, uh, well, well, not to add, but just to kind of keep going with this thought, I was just reading, uh, and it it, uh, it solidifies your thoughts. So one has written here, so the staff as a staff giving rest, the staff as a guide, then the rod, the rods are protection, but then as a symbol of love. And so the writer here is saying that, he said, I can't prove it to you, but in Leviticus 27.32, a rod was used by priests 
to count the tithe, and shepherds would have used the same methodology to count their flocks. So they would have had the rod end of the staff, and all the sheep would pass under it one at a time, counting every or each animal as it passed. It was very interesting, right? Um, almost as if you're mine and I care for you, and I'll do everything I can to keep you, right? And um, I just thought that was a beautiful thought. Well, and, and the other thing that we should draw on on our understanding of shepherd is what the Lord talks about him being the good shepherd and the 90 and the illustrations he uses like the 99 and one. That's right. You know, I've been to, I've been to assemblies where there's someone who is a difficult person to deal with and had had the elders tell me, we're just hoping he leaves soon. And, and I, I don't, know that that computes with my understanding of what it means to be a shepherd and and um we're going to talk about um authority of the elders later too many take this oversight as a as a as a justification for authority or a justification for dominion even though paul's going to warn or peter's going to warn us about that here but it's the idea that you're overseeing the whole the whole flock don't get my view is don't get so caught up that there's only four or five sheep that you're dealing with as a shepherd. There might be other shepherds there. In my experience, and I don't know, Jeff, you could probably, you could probably um, address this issue. In my experience, I was in an assembly, had three elders. I'd say about th a third of them recognized me as, a, as their elder and the person they would come to for, for care when they were in need. And about a third of them recognized a different elder and about a third of them recognized the third elder. Um, those numbers might vary a little bit along the way. Um, and we had three fairly active elders. If we had seven and three of them weren't very active, then that would, the numbers would be different. Is that your experience? Um, yes, Jeff? it is. Yes, it is. And um, there, there's been times, my wife and I are, are just people orientated. Um, we, we just greet people at the door. Uh, we've had so many people tell us they stayed because of how we met them at the door and talked to them. And we were, we, you know, we try to be in every home of everybody in the church at least once a year or more. And uh, we just, you know, we, you just, you get to know the body. And there are some elders that are un, unapproachable. And, and so many times, like you say, Clay, a lot of people, look to one or two elders in a group as being truly shepherds, which sometimes causes an animosity amongst the elder team because other people are not going to them. We had one, we had one guy who was really good at applying the word of God. He had a lot of wisdom, but he was the first car out of the parking lot every Sunday. And it really frustrated people because they wanted to talk to him. And he was a businessman, so he was really busy. And Sunday was like the day to talk to him, and he um, he'd be out he'd be the first one away from the building. And I talked to him about, it and I said, you know, people want to talk to you. They're really struggling with you running away so fast. He goes, well, that's my afternoon. I set aside for my wife, and the rest of the week is full, so that's the day I I spend with my wife. So I don't have I I need to get away and spend that time with her. Um, it's difficult to know sheep if you're the first one out of the building. If you have a fellowship meal and you don't attend, I, I went to an assembly where every time the doors were open, all these elders were there. I've gone to assemblies where every time the doors are open, two or three of the elders are missing. It's hard to know the sheep if you're just not at the meetings. 
And that could be a major sacrifice for someone, but knowing the sheep is the key to being a good shepherd. You, you can't be a good shepherd. You, you can't know a problem's coming up. You can't know someone said something that was doctrinally wrong in a meeting, which is where I think oversight comes in if you're not at the meetings. Can I even and, add that? Oh. Ray. I, I think that uh, some scriptural, scriptural backing for that knowing the sheep is in John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd, said the Lord. And uh, I know my sheep and I am known by my own. So the whole thing there is talking about knowing the sheep and the sheep knowing him and knowing his voice. Uh, and if we're under shepherds, if, if an elder is an under shepherd, then he, he needs to be known as well as knowing. And so my, I, I'm a strong believer that if someone is an elder, they need to know what the Lord taught on being a shepherd. And they need to know what the scriptures teach on being a shepherd. So that they're clearly understanding what the standards are and what the parameters are. Of being a shepherd too many just too many of the books i have on elders say they're shepherd or feed that's what te feed and ten but they really don't go into any practical explanation of that and it really doesn't say and some people think feed is just being your main speaker at 11 o'clock and it, it just simply is so much more than that and we can talk about that um as we move along but that's that's the point on oversight i think is is watching for error watching for disturbances having a lookout it, it really means it it really means to uh to be overseer to be a guardian of so it's really talking about something that might come in to harm the flock more than anything else and i think um, that's uh, what he has in view matt uh, did you have something yeah actually matt hebert go ahead you were going to say something yeah matt hebert is going to say something no, I just was going to, um, I love your thought on knowing the flock. And um, I, I think it's not only, I think being at the assemblies, and not to sound too harsh, but is bare minimum, right? Right. Um, it's, it's being in the homes. And I grew up with a father uh, who was an overseer. And uh, I've always said since that experience, I mean, that was 18 years or so I was in his home, um, if someone wants to be an overseer, I've always said, if you want to know what God wants for your life, you can ask, but be ready for it. And uh, there was never a Sunday where people from the assembly were not in our home. It was every Sunday, uh, every Saturday. And I'm not exaggerating. And um, it was just a small assembly, maybe 30 or so. But um, he lived and breathed it, right? And it took time away from us as kids, too. I mean, really. And so, but he knew everyone in that assembly and, um, and loved each one. He would have died for them. So it's a very serious role. And, and I'd, I'd also say that it's sad that sometimes, I think Clay, you're speaking from experience seeing different assemblies and Jeff too, and probably many on this call where you have the titled elders um, by man's appointment. And, uh, but really when you look around the assembly, you know who the true elders are, right? And sometimes they're the ones who are doing all the work in the back end and they work the trenches and really build those relationships. And, and one of the things that um, in Southern California particularly is that we're pretty spread out and most of the, most of the assemblies are basically commuter assemblies. 
So there's a little less um, going to folks' home because we're, we're so spread out. It might be an hour drive to someone's home, 45 minute drive and then another hour the opposite way back home to you. And so in Southern California, but there is, but we have um, many ways we can build time, you know, go out to lunch with them, meet them for lunch, um, chat on the phone with them, do a video call with them, um, check base with them. I've done a lot, I, I do a lot of my um, touch base with, with the young men that I work with through texting. I can carry on a half hour conversation just texting, which I never used to do, but I'm learning. And, um, you know, and, and talking to them and, and chatting with them and, and, and putting and pouring your time and effort into them. And sometimes it means, you know, sometimes I have to say, you better call me. This is, um, I need to talk to you. And so, um, but that's knowing, knowing the flock, knowing I'm dealing with a young man out of Dallas right now. And uh, he and his wife, and one of the comments back is he goes, no one's, they, one of the things they say is, thank you, no one's ever got to know us. And that's a sad commentary that they've always felt, they've attended assemblies their whole married life, six years, but they've never felt like the elders or the people in that assembly knew, really knew who they were. And it, it's so easy to misjudge when you don't know someone or to think that, think wrongly about a person if you don't know them. So particularly for elders, it becomes really important that they know the flock. And yeah. as, as Matt Herbert pointed out, it is, it is time consuming. It is time consuming. Yeah, I agree. And so um, one, of the things, one of the things that says not by constraint, but willingly. So that's why it can't be by constraint. The, the man I told you left, left um left the parking lot the first time after i asked me if we could have lunch so we went and had lunch and we had a nice lunch and we talked about a number of things and at the end of the at near the end of the lunch he said so why'd you ask me to lunch and i said just to get to know you and talk to you he goes you're the first person who ever asked me to lunch that didn't want to pick my brain or want my advice but it was almost like it was a burden to him to be an elder he, he wasn't a bad elder. He was, he was really a very decent elder, but it was like a burden to him. It's like, it, it was, it, it was burdensome. And so if, if it's that much of a burden, if you feel like someone, you need to do it. Here's one thing to guard against. Don't do it because you look around and there's only two elders and your assembly really should have a third. That's doing it by constraint. That means, yeah, that, I, I don't have the heart for it. I don't want to sacrifice for it, but what but I, I feel can... that we need an elder here and so there's there's danger in doing it by constraint and then and then the other thing he says and not for filthy lucre and so the idea of fil uh, filthy lucre is um or do it not by constraint but willingly so there has to be a willingness and not for filthy lucre now in second peter Peter writes a lot about the false teachers, and one of the charges about the false teachers is they make merchandise of you. So most, I don't have any personal experience where I thought an elder was doing it for filthy lucre or was trying to make merchandise of the people. And if one of you have that experience or want to talk about it, that's fine. I don't have any personal experience about it, but it must have been a problem because Peter addresses it. Jeff, do you have any 
Well, yes. Um, I, I became an elder the first time when I was 30. <clears throat> and um, like I say, I've been an elder in four different assemblies. It was, it was almost a necessity. I was the only elder at 30. And I didn't like to use the term. I didn't go around saying I'm an elder. I just did the work. Um, as far as the, the financial thing, I've, I've, I've been a full-time commended worker for over 43 years. And so I'd be invited to work with churches that were going through difficulties. Uh, Clay, you may remember I, I was an elder with your brother-in-law, George Even, yeah. at Cornerstone. And so they, they, were, they were almost collapsed and they invi invited my family to come out and work with them. And so therefore, as a full-time commended worker, I, we were supported by the Lord's people. We still are, that's how we live. And uh, sometimes, Times the assembly would give us a stipend. They would give us not 100% of what we needed, but they would give us the fellowship to help us live. We had, you know, three kids. And, and uh, so we, it was a real blessing. But um, <clears throat> what that allowed me to do, uh, Clay, was it allowed me to, since I was a full-time committed worker and other guys were punching a time clock, I was really more able to, to get to know the flock and get around and, and use that time. And uh, so that's what Alice and I have done all these years. And uh, so uh, <clears throat> we didn't do it for the money, but we are thankful that the Lord provided for us as full-time workers. Clay, can I just want to read verse two out of the Living Translation. This okay. This might explain it really easy. It says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve. We got, you got it. Remember the old John F. Kennedy, ask not what you can do, uh, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That's got to be our attitude as, as overseas. It should be our attitude just as, as believers in Christ, but not what can we get out of it, but what can we give? Uh, another bad illustration of an elder. So I was at an assembly and we were having meetings on elders, and the and the elder said, um, "I don't, I don't have the respect. I, I'm not treated like I should be." And he had been, as a young man, he had been commended as a missionary, and he said, "When I was commended as a missionary, they laid hands on me, they prayed for me, they talked to me." He said, "And now nobody does that." And one of the young men said, but you're the elder. You're the one who's supposed to be doing that for others now. Because he was saying, I'm not getting that from you. I'm not getting that, that feel-good feedback like I got from the elders when I was young. And someone just told him, you're the elder. You're supposed to be the one that's the giving one now. You're not supposed to be receiving one. And, and he, he just, he didn't get it. He just, that was his picture was that. And that's that's when I when I opened up with the comments about prestige, that's where that whole idea of prestige comes in. Is that if you're doing it for prestige, you're in it you're in it a little bit for what you're getting out of it. You're right. not in it for the comments. I really like Ray's uh, comment about knowing the flock. Obviously, he was the good shepherd, and he knows all of us. But I think it, it goes to why he says multiple elders. Because really, in reality, like why we're all to love one another. I, I can't have a close relationship with everybody. Like i just not going to identify or people aren't going to feel as comfortable with me as some will. 
And so having multiple elders and recognizing that certain people will reach certain people and other people will reach other people and having those a diversity on the oversight is really important. Um, I, we've talked a little bit about feeding the flock and I, I really would like to uh, make a comment about that just real fast. Great. I don't like, and you kind of alluded to it, the preaching and, and then you're an elder. I'm not a preacher, but that doesn't say anything about this, but I really don't think when it talks about apt to teach as a qualification of a, of an elder that it's preaching. Like teaching is done yeah. in so many different ways, one-on-one, -on -one, um, among it, a small it, group. It, it absolutely is not. Getting up on the platform. Uh, and I just, and if, you know, I'm open to hearing yeah. other comments, but I just really, at least from my background, preaching on the platform was like, if you didn't do that, that is, you're, you're not meeting your, uh, probably your duties as a, as a man in the assembly, but even furthermore, definitely not of an elder. And I, I don't, I don't believe that to be true. So I just wanted to say that. I also want to say I, we were going to be respectful yeah, of the time. So I just want to kind of give a, we got like 10 minutes. So because yeah. I know have things yeah. I, I'm watching the time. Okay. okay. I'm watching the time. So he brings up he brings up a really good point. And so how many of you um, have had a mentor? Maybe we can raise hands. How many of you have had a mentor? And was that mentor a good public speaker? Well, in my situation, Clay, um, he was. Okay. But I wouldn't say that's always the case. I'm just, but he was a mentor, excuse how gentle and kind. He was just, I mean, He's still a mentor to me today. Was, Some of my best mentors were not very good public speakers. Yeah. So I'm 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 very firm on the idea that apt to teach or feeding doesn't always take place publicly. Mm -hmm. That a lot of it a lot of it's in small groups or one on one, and it's just it's the ability. And I will tell you what I believe apt to teach is apt to teach is the ability to apply the word of God to any given situation. Now you might be gifted to speak from a platform, which some people are, but that doesn't mean that you, you can't be an elder. It's your ability to know the word of God well enough to apply it to any given situation. And someone's, some, someone's struggling um, with despair. You know, the day I, I was talking to the young man in Dallas and, and, you know, with this with this COVID nineteen and everything that's happening, they're 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 getting pretty. You know, his whole plan, his business now, it looks like it's going to go away. Um, every plan he made, he's sitting there going. And so, my question to him, I said, "So, who were you depending on for the success of your business? Were you depending on yourself? Or were you depending on God?" So, if the business, if this something like this happens, and and God's teaching you a lesson through this. Are you going to be upset with yourself or are you going to say God must have something else in mind for us? You know, how can Paul say that whether he abounded or abased, he was content unless you understand you're walking by faith and you're looking to God for your provision. And we walked through that from the word of God. And in the end, he had a pretty good understanding of it, I think. But that's the ability to take a situation walk someone through the word of God as to how it should apply to them at this given time. Not everyone has that and no, not everyone has the knowledge of the word of God to be able to walk someone through that. 
but that's what I think is apt to teach Matthew. And it, and it would mean if you didn't have any skill at all from the platform, which some people are not very good platform speakers, but they're very good one-on-one -on -one, and they can direct people to what the word of God has to say and how, and, and, and apply it to someone's lives. And that to me is what the, what, what the one qualification that an elder absolutely must have. And it means they know the word of God to understand it and have the wisdom to apply it to any given situation. I hate using myself as an example, but that's the one that came to mind. So please forgive me. Um, and then of a ready mind, David, can you read on the new living as what it said to as a ready mind? Dave, you're muted. Hold on. Yeah, you're muted. If you're reading, you're muted. All right. Oh, you're muted again. You double tapped it. Who made these computers? My goodness. <laughs> um, let's see. It says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. So let's let's close on this idea of um, with a ready mind, and and I think the idea is e with eagerness, not reluctantly. I think any time that someone is, I know when I was first asked to be an elder, I was reluctant to serve only because I didn't think I was as qualified as I should be. But in a way, that's a good thing, because if you think you're overly qualified, then you probably shouldn't be an elder in the first place, because you probably have higher thoughts of yourself than you ought to. But the idea here is that it, it can be time-consuming and should be a time-consuming task, as Matt Ebert brought out and Jeff has brought out, that if you're not ready and eager to take on the work, then you should not do it. And if you're doing it for the prestige or you're doing it for the recognition, then you, you really have to understand that you're doing it for, for self and you're not doing it sacrificially. So while this passage doesn't mention love, in this motivating as Ray, um, was it Ray you pointed out from earlier in the passage in, in John that it was love, he's really saying, you know, love is sacrificial. And if you're not willing to be sacrificial, which means you really aren't leading to be loved. If you're doing it for selfish reasons, selfish motives, any other motive besides love for the people of God, you're going to fail or you're going to not do well. And so as we go through what a work is, um, hopefully I want to establish there's a work of an elder and the role of the assembly, which we'll get to, is to recognize those people doing a, the work. I was working with a, with a missionary who came back from South America when I was working with an assembly and um, we rode together because we lived in the same part and I would pick him up on the way to the meetings. And uh, on the way back, he said, I could do a lot if they would just simply give me the authority and they'd recognize me as an elder. And I said to him, I said, 
I'm not recognized as an elder at this assembly because I'm not an elder in this assembly. I'm just coming along this side this assembly trying to help. I said, do you think they recognize me as an authority? And he said, yes. And I said, so why do you think they listen to me and recognize me as an authority? Because I have no authority. I have no position with the church. I have nothing. And, they, and he had to think about that for a while. Because in his mind, you needed the position to have authority. In my mind, the word of God is the only authority we possibly can have. And it's our ability to explain the word of God that brings about authority. We were at a meeting in that same assembly and the elder I've mentioned a couple of times, the older elder that, that liked the position for prestige, a young man pointed at him and said, you've never been an elder to me. And it's an assembly where Ken Daughters is. And he pointed at Ken Daughters and goes, that man's been an elder to me because he has visited me in the hospital. He's visited me in my home and he's gotten to know me. And then he pointed to me, who was not an elder in that assembly, and goes, that man's been an elder to me because he's taught me the word of God. And so without any titles, any recognition, people will know or should know who their elders are if they know what the qualifications and the work of an elder are. And that's why we're taking this class and we're trying to do this, this these seminars so that we can know and recognize Who's doing the work and who meets the qualifications? So we're not going to keep you all night. So we've, we've got two, two verses, which is good for me on this first time. So um, let's open it to comments. If you have to go, you have to go. I don't want to hold you past 8 o'clock. So, um, but if you have other comments, please be feel, free, feel, feel free to share them. Clay, I'd just, like just like to read some from Bill McDonald's commentary. It says, overseeing the flock is not a work into which men are coerced by election or appointment. The Holy Spirit provides the burden and the ability, and the elders must be respond with a willing heart. Coupled with divine enablement must be human willingness. And it's a willingness to serve. Thank you. Tillman? Those who lead will serve. David, right? You have any comments? You're growing a beard just like me, so you look good. <laughs> Not. <laughs> okay, I have a comment if I can share one. Yeah, um, Jeff, go ahead. Go for it. Uh, I'll be. 74 in um, November, and my inclination is that although, although I've been an elder many times in the past, that maybe this should pass on to younger men. And so on the other hand, I think that <clears throat> the experiences I've had might be invaluable in a short-term relationship to help them get going. So what do you think about that? And this is what I think. I, I don't think you need to have a title to be doing the work of an elder. Yeah. And I think one of, one of the things as we get along in this is one of the things that's going to be really important is that you know when you need help. I, it's been, I've been asked by members of an assembly and told by members of an assembly, we've asked our elders to ask you to come in and help us. And 
they've told no, they don't want any outside help. There was one group of elders that were given six names in Southern California and said, would you just ask one of these men or two of these men to come and help us? And the response was, no, we can do this on our own, which they weren't, and it was terrible. But that's, but, but, and the same idea, if you have someone in your assembly that is particularly gifted in a certain area, or someone who's an asset, he might not be a named elder, but you would ask him to meet with you and, and seek his advice, especially if it's an older man who might be able to help you in some way or guide you or, or answer, you know, who has more experience or has, has seen, or it might be someone from a different assembly. But um, as Jeff said, whether you're an elder or not, elders need to be wise enough, know the flock enough to know who they can get help from or who, who can maybe advise on a more a difficult situation. Would you agree with that, Jeff? Yes, very much. And, and also, uh, I think a regularly scheduled elders meeting is critically important. And um, you, you've just got to be together as a, as a group of men. And how those elders meetings should run takes a little bit of, of example, okay? <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking along those lines too. You know, um, you don't just, just pick have the church select three guys and put them in a room and say, okay, you guys are elders now. I mean, you can, but I think that it'd be helpful to have some, some older men uh, who uh, have been elders and maybe like you say, we don't need, don't need a title, but you can show them how an elders meeting is supposed to work. <laughs> so, so and, and so one of the things about knowing the flock the elders really need to be able to know each other really well. So if you're not meeting regularly and praying together regularly, there's no way you're going to know the fellow elders. And it's really important that you, you know the, your fellow elders almost first and then the flock. So if you don't know your fellow elders, you're really going to struggle meshing and working together. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure we're going to cover a lot of this in future sessions, but one of the things kind of to the point of having regular meetings as elders, I think we should really get into, I and mean, we don't have to discuss it tonight, is the, like, lack of a better word, job description of an elder. Like, what are the elders to do? Uh, my personal belief is they're not really in the business of running the church. They're in the business of shepherding the flock. I really, when we refer to elders in the assembly, I love the image of the shepherd and the shepherd knowing the sheep. The whole like running of the church should be left to deacons. And I think we should really like, if we could make that a probably a whole night even, because I think defining that a little bit would actually open up some people that are scared to be elders to realizing that, you know, it's not all on their shoulders but if they have a care for people, then that's probably a good position for them. Um, yeah, but I think it's, it's, I'm sure I'm, we'll as, you, as, as most of you know, I'm a very firm believer in elder meetings and I'm a very firm believer in men's meetings and those leadership in those meetings, the men's meeting, I believe should be led by the deacons. And I think, and, and the elders meetings, can be open to others, but at times will have to be private because of some things that will be discussed there. But if you know the sheep, I, I don't know how many of you have been a counselor in camp before, but if you've been a counselor in camp, you get the counselors together and you're going over and you go, what happened in your cabin? What are you concerned about? How can we pray? And they'll say, 
this happened in my cabin. This person I don't believe is really saved. This person I believe is on the verge of on the on the verge of getting saved. But when the elders get together, and as Jeff said, it's not unusual that you have a portion of the flock that you're watching over. Now you find out about the other flock and who else you should be praying for. Who else? Maybe they say, you know, I've talked to them. I think another voice would be helpful here. I think someone else's voice would be a help to them. Maybe you can go and visit them, or maybe you can try to touch base with them. And those are the type of things when you're, so, so study, prayer, and discussing of the flock is what I believe elders meeting should be about. Jeff might have other things he wants to have done. And then any crisis that might come up or any net needs that might come up. Um, deciding where the money goes, deciding even um, to some degree who's speaking, if the elders have had qualified people or they believe there's qualified people, that can be made by the men. Um, building decisions, food decisions, painting decisions, carpeting positions, all that I think should be being done by the men of the assembly. You know, Clay, and the uh, first time deacons are mentioned in Acts chapter 6, uh, the widows of the of the Jewish or Greeks, whatever, were not being taken care of. And so what they decided was that the elders should give themselves to the word and to prayer. And they selected seven godly men to be deacons. I think the Apostle Paul, as the epistles are written, certainly expands on that. And that's not necessarily the ideal description uh, of a shepherd, but uh, that's how, it, you know, being an elder grew. <laughs> in the New Testament. Yeah, it, and basically the word for deacon is simply servant. Yeah. So the, the elders called a number of terms, overseer, shepherd, bishop, but the deacons are called a servant. So it's, it's anyone who has a, that capacity to serve. And one of the things, one of the reasons I'm a big, as I've said before to the men, one of the reasons I'm big on men's meetings is that's where the elders' wisdom and leadership should come to the forefront. And you can't do that if all your meetings are secret and you're just handing down edicts after you've had some secret meeting and just telling people what to do. In my opinion, I'll be careful not to be too opinionated here. May I ask a question? Yes. It's officially over. Kind of along those lines. Um, it's been said a couple times tonight that someone can be doing the work of an elder but not have the position of an elder. But in like talking about handing down verdicts, um, what authority do elders have over the assembly? Because if they are in a position of an elder, you know, we are supposed to submit to them. We're going to talk about that. That's on the outline somewhere on the outline, right? I closed my outline, but somewhere on the outline, we're going to talk about ruling and authority and, and how they handle it. In fact, in, in this passage, there, it, it talks about not having dominion. So what, what is the meaning of dominion? What does it mean to lord it over? How, how, what what are shepherds supposed to do? How are they supposed to respond? All those are really important questions, and it's hopefully before we're done with this series, we'll have covered those. All right? Kind of right about in the middle of your outline, just so you know. Okay. And I changed the outline a little bit, Ray. I'll send you the new outline because I moved the Hebrews passage down to authority. Hey, Clay, I just want to encourage you. Uh, it was a great night tonight. And uh, 
I think you're in a great role for this for this topic, and um, and you've really been a big help. I, I'm sure many can echo that on this call. Well, Ray Ray's got next. And when when we're done with the Peter passage, Ray's going to pick up. So um, encourage Ray. <laughs> Everyone's got good thoughts, but anyway, um, it works if people participate. So don't be afraid to participate, Danny. You didn't participate. You want me calling you, Danny? We haven't heard from you all night. You want to say something? He's not taking his mute off, so he must not want to say anything. No, he's trying. Oh, he's to talking. Your mute's on. I got you, Danny. There you go. No, I've I've really enjoyed uh, almost all the comments tonight. They they've been really good, and um, yeah. I, I agree with almost everything that was said for sure. So okay, and Dick, you didn't say anything. Did you want to say something, Mr. Anderson? And Rashawn? Um, I think this is one area where I would rather learn than talk. So yeah, okay. Well, if and and you know what? If you guys talk, we'll all learn. Hopefully, because there's no fountain of knowledge that has all the answers here. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Should we close in prayer? You want? Yes, we can. Matt yeah. Herbert, will you um, close us in prayer? Sure. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this moment you provided to us to open up the Word of God and to get some understanding from it. We're thankful, Father, for what brings us together—the unity of the work of Christ. And without the Lord Jesus, we would not even know who we are. And so we're just thankful for the family and the body of Christ. We're thankful for our brothers exercise clay tonight and to open up the word of God and to 